0: I'll tell you, they'll say a lot of stuff about me. They won't say I sound like everybody else. So Good. I just ain't going to be myself. That's it. And if people like it, great. And if they don't, I can get another job.
1: From WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, it's the Christie Tracker. I didn't run for this job
0: to be the prom king. I want this. I was promised that. I need this. Well, listen, man, I don't have a money tree. And you can boo me all you want. But in the end, I don't understand why you're booing the first guy who came here and told you the truth.
1: I'm David First here with Tom Moran, editorial page editor for the Star-Ledger. And today we're going to hear more details on the chairman's flight, the flight allegedly ordered by former Port Authority chairman David Sampson from Newark to his weekend retreat in South Carolina. And we'll be joined by WNYC's Matt Katz, who says, in order to understand what Governor Christie is selling in 2015, you need to look back to a speech he made to the American Enterprise Institute in 2011. But first, we just heard a clip from uh, yet another appearance by the governor on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. He was on last week saying that he's always going to be himself, but uh, he still didn't tell us if he's running for higher office. This week, the governor is on the road in D.C. and Maryland, and he started the week with the April edition of his Ask the Governor show on New Jersey 101.5 where he downplayed the fact that longtime ally State Senator Joe Carrillos is now officially backing Jeb Bush.
0: This is politics. It's business. And he made a business decision. And that's all. And that's the only way I view it. I don't view it as some personal shot at me. He blamed the media
1: for sinking poll numbers and responded to a question about whether he would veto a millionaire's tax again if it was part of a package to raise funds for the state's troubled pension system.
0: I've vetoed an, uh, a millionaire's tax, I think, four times. Four again. times, yeah. So, you yeah. know, sometimes past his prologue. Right. But we'll see what happens.
1: Tom Moran, do you see any movement there? Do you think Governor Christie would consider a millionaire's tax, given the context of possibly running for
2: president? It's hard to imagine how he could do both. I think he would. Uh, be blown out of the water among base voters in the Republican Party. That's just not their cup of tea. And even if he, in fairness, you know, Christie himself has vetoed every tax hike that's gone across his desk, even before his presidential campaign. So maybe it's a question of ideology, but it surely is a question of our political calculus. I don't see how he could do it. So we're stuck on both transportation and on pensions, because he can't sort of meet Democrats halfway and also please voters in Iowa and New Hampshire. At one point, he criticized
1: Senate President Stephen Sweeney on the Ask the Governor show for negotiating in
0: public. The Senate president wants to negotiate in public and make these grand statements. That's certainly his prerogative. I'm not the guy who's going to do that regarding budget negotiations.
2: Well, I can't imagine what the governor means because he has a series of town hall meetings in which he's pounding His own viewpoint on how to solve the pension crisis, which relies on a second round of spending cuts, uh, exclusively. So, if Sweeney says no, here's how I'd solve it. That's political. But Christie doing this at town hall meeting after town hall meeting is not. I don't get it. Um, As for their relationship, it's um, as as Sweeney put it, back in 2011, uh, these two made a lot of big deals to contain public spending on a on a range of things. Now Sweeney's saying it's night and day. They're not meeting face to face. Sweeney's even complaining sometimes he can't get a call back from them. At this point, it seems like Mick Jagger and Keith Richards only talking through the pages of Rolling Stone. I think they still do talk by phone, but, or, or at least snarl at each other once in a while by phone. Sweeney told me that Christie called to, to complain about some of his tweets. So I guess they still talk, but it doesn't sound too romantic. The bromance is dead. On the Christie Tracker podcast, we've talked many times,
1: Tom, about how Christie's presidential ambitions may be impacting things in New Jersey. A lot of what we talked about was just how much time it's taking up in his schedule, how much he's away. But what you're really hitting on is the political calculations and how it's making it
2: impossible to govern in New Jersey. Right. He has to form a deal not just with Sweeney, but one that would also not offend base voters in Iowa and New Hampshire. And that's a pretty broad stretch to try to find a deal that works for all three parties. Uh, Sweeney has his political motives here, too. I mean, Sweeney wants to run for governor. It's going to be very difficult to do that if the unions hate his guts, and they did hate him after 2011. And he has spent some time since then trying to rehabilitate that relationship. So now, you know, with Christie coming and saying, we need another round of cuts, and, and I think he's right that we need another round of cuts. It's going to be very difficult for Sweeney to face that reality if, if he wants to run for governor. So I think yeah, the politics pulling these guys in different directions now, very unlike 2011. Tom Moran, editorial page editor for The Star-Ledger. Thanks again. Okay, thanks, Dave.
0: I'm from New Jersey. No, I don't talk that way. Go back to Jersey, you bum.
2: Jersey's what I think about when I think of home.
0: Got killed
3: by $10 million.
1: We've talked about the federal probe into the chairman's flight before here on the podcast. This was the sparsely traveled United Airlines flight from Newark to South Carolina, allegedly requested by former Port Authority chairman David Sampson, so he could make easier runs to his weekend retreat. Sampson was appointed to that position by Governor Christie and resigned in the wake of investigations into state and Port Authority officials after Bridgegate. But now new details have emerged about the flight, thanks to the reporting of David Kocineski and David Voriakos with Bloomberg News, their in-depth piece on the dinner proposal that led to the corruption probe ran this week. And we're joined now by David Kocineski. Welcome.
4: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: In your report, you have very specific information about a dinner with David Sampson and Jeffrey Smyzik, United's chief executive officer. Can you tell us what took place? Mm you
4: you mm-hmm. Yeah, this was um, a meeting, it took place in September uh, 2011. Um, it was Jeff Smizek is the CEO of United, and they came there uh, to talk about a plan to extend the PATH train to the airport. Halfway through the meeting, after Mr. Smyzik makes his um, request of what United would like to see from the Port Authority, everyone was surprised when, um, according to documents that we found, um, Mr made a request of his own. Um, He said that, you know, he and his wife had a weekend home in Aiken, South Carolina, and that they were now having to fly uh, to Charlotte and then drive the 150 miles. And that until 2009, um, Continental used to fly directly to Columbia, South Carolina, which was about 100 miles closer. People all kind of scratched their heads as he talked about this, and then he asked, would you consider resuming that flight? And an odd silence fell over the table.
1: An a hot silence fell over the table. This is a scene from a movie. This just doesn't happen. Where did you find this document?
4: Um, well, we, you know, we've to protect the identity of our sources, but um, there were written documents that were um, exchanged uh, between the Port Authority and United during the course of some of this. So we got a hold of some of the written correspondence and some documents that um, the government is now looking at as they try to weigh whether charges should be brought in this case.
1: Now, according to your reporting, it does not end with awkward silence in the room.
4: No, that actually was the beginning of a, of a, a several-month period where there was, um, you know, negotiations. The Smizek said that, you know, United would think about it. About a month later, uh, word came back to the Port Authority that uh, United had decided against resuming that flight because it was too lightly traveled and it would be a money loser. There just wasn't enough traffic. Um, but Samson then persisted, and um, at one point there was appears to be a link between his request and his allowing items that United was looking for to be voted on before the Port Authority. He, he said he was going to remove things from the agenda.
1: Now, Michael Chertoff, Samson's lawyer, uh, said in an email statement uh, regarding your reporting that, uh, quote, For more than a year, the media has been filled with inaccurate reports that are both unfair and harmful to our client. Sadly, this account is yet one more. He says it badly mischaracterizes the dinner and subsequent meetings.
4: You know, he's a defense lawyer. His job is to try to defend uh, Mr. Sampson's position. Um, we've talked to him beforehand and gave him very specific details about what we the documents had found what we had corroborated elsewhere and when he said that there was something that was mischaracterized, we asked him if he wanted to point something out um, he did not so we are confident that the facts we have have been corroborated uh, um, from multiple sources and um, I think that as the case plays out that that will be shown to be true.
1: David, where do things stand in the federal probe into this uh, United Airlines flight?
4: You know, it's part of this kind of sprawling investigation that began from uh, lane closings at the bridge. The chairman's flight only came to the attention of authorities over the past couple months. You know, there's rumblings that there might be some sort of charges brought very soon. Um, You know, within the next week, possibly this week, uh, What the documents show Samson requesting and, you know, raises questions about could that possibly be, you know, an extortion attempt on his account or some misuse of his public position Um, since United later received things. um, You know, I think that's one of the things that they're looking at now is did United's actions cross the line?
1: David Kochineski with Bloomberg News. Thanks for joining us to talk about your reporting.
4: Give me a
3: ticket for an got time to take a,
0: train. Days I'm a going home.
1: This is the Christy Tracker Podcast. I'm David First. We turn the clock back to 2011 now. It was the year Prince William married Kate Middleton. This was the hottest song of the year.
0: The sky The final
1: Harry Potter movie hit theaters, and Republicans were begging Chris Christie to run for president. Now, in an effort to reposition himself and reinvigorate his shaky campaign, not that he's officially running, the governor has been telling donors to pay close attention to a speech he made at the American Enterprise Institute in Washington, D.C., back in February of 2011. We're here with Matt Katz, who reports on Governor Christie for WNYC and is writing a book about the governor for Simon & Schuster. Matt, why should we focus on this speech from four years ago?
3: According to a report in the Washington Post... The governor's people have been passing around copies of this speech, uh, videos of this speech, to potential donors and bigwig Republicans, to get, in order to get a sense of what a Christie presidential candidacy would be like. And I remember this speech very, very well. It's one of the um, probably most significant speeches he's given in his career. This was his second year in office. He was now really starting to become a national name. A few days before the speech, conservative talk radio host Ann Coulter was at CPAC, uh, the Conservative Political Action Conference. Now, Christie wasn't there, but Ann Coulter's there. She gets on stage and she says, well, I'll put it in a nutshell. If we don't run Chris Christie, Romney will be the nominee and we'll lose. Now, she was right. (laughs) You know, in retrospect, that's exactly what happened. So this was the beginning of that clamor for getting Christie to run for president and it really began with the speech.
1: So is that why the speech is so significant? Because... Of the context and because uh, this was like the moment when he became Chris Christie, the national figure?
3: It was part because of the uh, uh, national coverage that it got by virtue of just the hype before and also the content. CNN was there. The New York Times sent a photographer. The Washington Post had two columnists there. And he's introduced as the most consequential governor of New Jersey in at least 100 years since Woodrow Wilson. This guy has, had been governor for 14 months, so the hype is just off the charts.
1: Today he brings his truth-telling from the Jersey Shore to the banks of the Potomac, and I believe he'll do so with a dose of what he called in his State of the State address, a little Jersey attitude. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Governor Chris Christie.
3: He begins his speech, and he makes references to Jerry Brown, the governor of California, and Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, both Democrats.
0: You have me in New Jersey elected in 2009 as a conservative Republican in one of the bluest states in America. And across the river, you have the son of a liberal icon who is saying the exact same things that I'm saying.
3: He tell us about how they all have the same goal, uh, which is to control benefits for public workers and to deal with the fact that uh, benefits and, and pensions for public employees are out of control.
0: Each governor across America is confronting the same things that I'm confronting in New Jersey.
3: So he starts off very sort of um, bipartisan and then he goes and tells his typical anecdotes while the Democrats were daring to shut down the government over his budget. He told them he'd go watch the Mets.
0: You close down the government, I'm getting in those black SUVs with the troopers, I'm going to the governor's residence, I'm going to go upstairs, I'm going to open a beer, I'm going to order a pizza, I'm going to watch the Mets. (laughs) And when you decide to reopen the government, give me a call and I'll come back. And went over very big. And then he
3: makes this link to the federal government. And he makes this link that would prove to become the thing that he's going to run for president on. And that's this idea that he controlled pension and health benefit costs for public workers in New Jersey. And therefore, he's going to figure out how to tackle entitlements like like Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid on the national level.
0: Pensions and benefits are the equivalent of federal entitlements at the state level. They're no different. They have no more vocal constituency at the federal level than they do at the state level. Take my word for it. You know, he
3: was the governor of New Jersey uh, uh, that morning, and all of a sudden he became this national political figure where he's saying, I'm doing these things in New Jersey, and now we can do them at the federal level. Four years later, how does this message resonate? It's a lot more complicated. He has not fixed the uh, pension problem. But when he made this speech... He hadn't done much of anything at that point anyway. His big major pension and benefit reform bill came many months after this speech. Why
1: is Governor Christie asking donors to go back and watch this speech? Is it to remind people of his... Uh, shining moment when he was the the fresh face, the most exciting new thing in the republican party or 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 maybe it 's just because he hasn 't written a book that he can hand people
3: yeah well that that 's probably part of it, and it also it it shows him at his strength, which is taking questions off the cuff, his best moments of this appearance was when he was taking. Questions from the audience so it shows his ability to handle that kind of pressure which is important on the uh, on the national stage and he also has a way of breaking through a New York magazine that doesn't cover politics as closely their headline was Chris Christie getting closer to killing himself
0: I threatened to commit suicide <laughs> I did I said what do I have to do short of suicide to convince people I'm not running apparently I actually have to commit suicide <laughs>
3: The Washington Post, Dana Milbank, the headline after this speech was Chris Christie isn't pretty and he tells ugly truths. I mean, that's exactly what Christie is selling.
1: Matt Katz covers Governor Christie for WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio. Good to talk to you, Matt.
3: Sure, Dave. Thanks. Thanks.
1: The Christy Tracker Podcast is a production of WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio. Big thanks to associate producer Joseph Capriglione. Our theme music is by 29-Hour Music People. You can subscribe to the Christy Tracker Podcast on iTunes. You can like us on Facebook. And you can follow Matt Katz on Twitter at MattKatz00. That's Matt, K-A-T-Z. And Tom Moran at Tom A. Moran. I'm David First. We'll leave you with one last gem from New Jersey 101.5's Ask the Governor.
0: If I can't go in and do the things that I think are best for the country, I wouldn't want to be elected anyway.